Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hog Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Yo, what is going on, Arkansas Razorback fans, SEC fans everywhere? Welcome to the Hawk Talk Podcast, episode number 101 already. If you guys missed the live show that we did on Facebook, you can go back to the Hawk Talk Facebook and catch that. Uh, Porter, Kyle, Jacob, and myself, we all just kind of reminisce over the last year and just talk about how far we have come and where we're at and how the future looks bright. So feel free to go check that out on Facebook. It's been an exciting week. Uh, Before we get into it, if you guys would, either now or when you're done with this episode of the Hog Talk, if if you'd be so kind to go back, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or however, wherever you're listening to us from, we'd really appreciate that. It goes a real long ways. Kyle, we had a, oh my gosh, what a week. Kyle Sutherland, everybody. He's with me. He's the co-host on the Friday show and uh, has pretty much taken over the Monday show in replace of Jacob. Man, let's talk about the week for just a second. Uh, we had episode 100, which we thought initially was going to be on a Friday, and it turned out you know we had Father's Day and stuff come along, and then we ended up doing this. Uh, you, had a, you had a great interview, and then we do this uh, live thing on Facebook, and then you got to be on the radio with ESPN. How freaking awesome has this week been for Hog Talking for you personally? It's been crazy, man. I was, uh, I was thinking about it really the last few days. Here we are recording on a Wednesday midway through the week, and it's gone by so fast. But, and and I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty tired, but in a great way. This has been a massive week for the Hog Talk, as you mentioned. And we had an incredible June. Our numbers dipped a little bit as the pandemic hit, just because that's typical when it's not football or basketball season. And then with all this stuff that's going on, mm-hmm. we did take a little bit of a dip for a couple months. But with the MLB draft and a few commits in June, that really helped our numbers soar back up in June. And, and it just shows, again, why, why we are the best because of the fans that we have. Uh, not because of necessarily what you or any of us do or like myself, Porter, mm-hmm. Jacob. It's because of the listeners that we have and the support that we have. And uh, it's just, man, it's just so incredibly overwhelming. And, and I was glad that we were able to all get on at the same time and, and our fans how much we do appreciate them which is a rare thing too. like to get all four of us to do even just a you know i think that went on i think that live show on facebook went on for like i want to say 45 minutes or something but for us to even get together for that long is is uh it's hard to do we all have different lives like jacob pointed out i think it was jacob on the live portion of the of episode 100 on facebook we all live in different parts of the state you know um 
you and Jacob are down central South Arkansas. Porter's down in uh, the River Valley and out in Ozark. I'm up here in northwest Arkansas in Springdale. And our our lives, you know, again, we don't get we don't get paid enough to make this our our our. This isn't what we do seven days a week or five, six, seven days a week. We we have other lives and do other things and have stuff going on. So it was really cool to to for four to all four of us to to have that opportunity to sit down and just kind of reminisce over the year. We also answered some questions, by the way, so it's not just us patting ourselves on the back for an hour. It's also we answer a couple of questions from the chat. Uh, Kyle, I listened to you when you were on uh, ESPN, uh, and up here it's 99.5. And I do try to take in as much radio as I can, but that's really challenging, especially right now, obviously, with COVID. But, man, I thought you killed it. Like I, Like Porter had mentioned, like you just kind of – you really held that show together, and I, I have to agree. Not nothing against Matty T and those guys. I thought they're they're great. They do great, but like you're filling in some pretty big shoes, and I thought you did awesome. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's uh, I I've got a real good relationship with all those guys. Ty Richardson and I have become pretty good friends. I stay in contact with Tommy Kraft and and um, Matt Jenkins and all of them. And it was it was a true honor for them to reach out to me and. And fill in for a day while while Phil Elson was on vacation. Of course, man, it's possible to fill the shoes of of Phil Elson, all the things that he does for Razorback Athletics. Oh and yeah, just his iconic voice. So I certainly uh, that was massive shoes to fill. And I know that I didn't know Phil, no pun intended. Uh, that I uh, <laughs> I know I was not able to come close to, but I, I was glad that I was able to have the, that segment there for two hours. It was a whole lot of fun. It was good stuff. It's good stuff. And obviously. Good deal for you, and it was also great exposure for the Hawk Talk, and we appreciate uh, anything that we can get, especially on the air. This is from someone like ESPN. We don't have – there's not a, a ton of stuff out there, but there was some interesting things that happened with the basketball program. We've also got some news from the NCAA on a particular team out of the SEC that violated some rules. We'll get into that. We've got some recruiting we're going to touch on. So – First uh, first thing we'll mention, oh, and by the way, we have Kyle interviews Tyler Spoon. That's going to be the, the final segment of today's podcast, so you guys stick around for that. So, Texas A&M, they're in a little bit. I'm not even going to say it's hot water. It's like room temperature water. They're not in, they're not in hot water. I've already gotten two texts today, text messages about the NCAA violations that A&M uh, are responsible for. And both of them have said A and M is finished, or A and M's about to get in some deep trouble. And it's like they're not that big a deal. Um, they're really not. They got slapped with a five thousand dollar fine, and I think they're on six months show cause um, for for the next six months. Meaning, if they obviously if they break any NCAA rules, then you know the NCAA will uh, will will step up their their efforts, I guess, on on dealing with Texas A and M. Also, depending on what the violations are as well, but. Kyle, I mean, going over this really quick, what what are your thoughts on this? And, and to you, is it a big deal, or is it just something we need to keep an eye on? What do you think? It's not a big deal to me at all. I look at it more as a tap on the wrist, and I would even say more so than a slap on the wrist. That It's what the $5,000 fines, that's pocket change to them. Where I do see a little, a little bit of things to really – keep an eye on as we get into football so long as we have football season especially on time there's an extreme when A&M got into the SEC and they think their fans tend to think that they've done a lot more over the years than they really have <laughs> bring in a national championship coach and Jimbo Fisher that's making seven and a half million a year 
pressure is obviously there to win and win big. And in his two years there, he hasn't won to the extent that they would like him to. Only nine and seven in the SEC, seventeen and nine overall. Now he has won two bowl games, but that was the Gator and the Texas Bowl. So we get into year three, that's going to be extremely a lot of pressure on him to at least get to the double-digit wins there. And, of course, you don't have Clemson on the schedule this year. You don't have Georgia on the schedule. They had a brutal one last year. And so if he has another one of those seven, eight-win seasons, this is something that the fan base is going to use against him, and that seat is going to begin to warm up. He's going to have at least five years there, five to six years minimum, just because of the contract. Because I believe all of that money that he – that that 10-year – what was it, $75 million a year of the contract that he signed, I'm pretty sure like almost all of that or all of it is guaranteed. So he's going to get at least half of that. I would say maybe minimum six years if I was a betting man. So the only way that I see this being really any kind of big deal is if they get some sort of other violation or, again, if he doesn't get to that at least double-digit win total, the fan base is really going to start to use stuff like that against him. Well, the way his contract is set up, I'm pretty sure he can leave whenever he wants. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no penalty. And now someone can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that was part of the, the outrage. But Well, I shouldn't say outrage, but just, I don't know, maybe a little bit of laughter that came out of the community or, or from people on social media about this contract and other people in the media were were a little flabbergasted by it. Why, why is A&M really that desperate to hire a guy that seemed to be trending in the wrong direction at Florida State and to give him not only a, a ridiculous salary, um, but to also allow him to come and go as he pleases, to, to have the ability to opt out and to leave whenever he wants the minute things get uncomfortable. So that makes me wonder if, if this year, if things don't go as planned, or if they if they underperform, and another job opens up, let's say I don't know, I, I highly doubt this happens, but you know his the guy that hired him at A and M, the AD is at LSU. What happens if Ed Ordron decides, you know what, I've been in this game for a long time, I'm retiring. I mean, it's not it, that's not the craziest thing to, to to think of. I mean, he won a national title there. He's he's been around the country. He's coached for years, for decades. Say he leaves. After this season, he doesn't want to live up to the expectations that are left behind with what happened this last year and that incredible season they had. They underperform, and he's like, you know what, I'm retiring. So now, and from what I understand, he's good friends with the athletic director. All right, I'm out. I'm going to go coach at LSU now. Um, that could happen. That I think that's a, a, a possibility. It, I mean, the odds of it are probably pretty slim. I've never understood this contract. I don't know why anybody – would give them any kind of guarantees like that, especially when you're talking about that sum of money, and to give them an open-ended part of the deal where they could just leave whenever they, whenever things get uncomfortable. It, it shows desperation and how badly A&M wants to win in this conference, which I understand. But and, and look, they are financially, they're probably one of the richest programs in college football. Um, they have the money. They've got deep pockets. I, I, I fully understand that, but I just at the same time, I think that was a risky move, and he's not lived up to it. I think we could all agree, even even A&M fans, I think we have one in our Discord. I think even they would agree that so far, even though it's been a short amount of time, he's not lived up to the expectations provided by that contract. So um, His contract is fully guaranteed. So if he, I, I knew it was... I knew at least $55 million of it was, but it is fully guaranteed. So, yeah, if he were just up and leave, let's say next year he decides he wants to go somewhere else, just generally speaking, 
the team that that he goes to will owe them zero dollars and zero cents. Zero dollars. That's zero. Wow. Zipola. So this is what I'll read. What the NCAA uh, the headline. This is from. This is directly from Emily James at the NCAA, who is the uh, Associate Director of Communications. Uh, Bear with me just a second here. We weren't going to spend too much time on this because it's really not a huge deal, but just for clarification. uh, She writes, uh, July 2nd, 2020 at 12 p.m., this is what was published. The Texas A&M football program violated NCAA recruiting and and, uh, accountable athletically-related activity rules between January 28th and February 2019, according to an agreement released by the Division I Committee on Infractions, the head football coach also violated NCAA head coach responsibility rules. Uh, the university head coach and NCAA enforcement staff agreed that the head coach and an assistant coach, now we're going to get into that in just a second, uh, had impermissible recruiting contact with a prospect at his high school. The, the conversation was impermissible because it occurred before the completion of the prospect's junior year in high school. Regarding the accountable athletically related activity violations, during permissible weeks of spring and summer activity, the football program unintentionally, quote unquote, caused student athletes to exceed activity time limits by approximately seven hours. So there's a little bit more going on here. Uh, According to the agreement, the head coach failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance because of his personal, because of his impersonal involvement. Uh, in the recruiting violation, the agreement also said the head coach failed to monitor his staff when he did not ensure the program was staying within the allowable number of accountable uh, athletically related activity hours. The university head coach and the enforcement staff used ranges identified by the Division One membership approved penalty guidelines for level two mitigated penalties agreed upon for the university and assistant coach and level two standard penalties for the head coach. Those and other penalties approved by the committee on infractions are detailed below. So it's one year probation, a fine of $5,000, which doesn't even pay for the rims on, on, uh, on Jimbo Fisher's kids, four wheelers, uh, (laughs) a reduction in football official visits by 17 days during the 2019 and 2020 academic year. So that's already passed. Uh, let's see an, an off campus recruiting ban for the entire football coaching staff through November, 2019. The only thing that seems to actually affect them now or what's left, uh, they, the university ended its recruitment of the prospect and a ban on any, on a ban on recruiting any prospects from that prospects high school until 2022. Uh, and they do have like Kyle mentioned a six month show cause. So it's look, this is a slap on the wrist. But what, what is interesting, we've talked a lot about Tennessee's recruiting. Now, you remember we, I, I mentioned there that I was reading about the assistant. The assistant responsible, this is from Alex Miller, and he's a, media, a former media member. Kyle, what was the connection there? Oh, he is a media member. He, he's with uh, – so I know he, he actually worked at the San Antonio – I was telling you off air, he worked at the San Antonio Express News That's what building it was, as a reporter – um, before they had their massive layoff. That was about a year before I worked at that building when I was still down there. He now was with the – it's with the Eagle. Uh, it's a digital content contributor for Texas A&M where they basically just distribute breaking news. And he was the one – one of the ones that broke the story. So here's what he said in a tweet, and we shared this in our Discord. If you want to join our, join our Discord, you can uh, check out our, our uh, bio 
the link is provided for you on Twitter on our in our bio. He says, and again, this is Alex Miller, uh, media member in Texas. Texas A&M says the assistant coach involved in the recruiting violations at A&M with Jimbo Fisher is former assistant Jay Graham, who's now at Tennessee. Graham will also have a six-month show cause through the end of 2020. And what has Tennessee done in recruiting since this guy joined their staff? Oh, I don't know. They've had the best recruiting class they've probably ever signed. I get that Tennessee's had some great classes, and they do recruit typically top 20 classes. That's fine. They're recruiting at a level they've never seen before, other than maybe the late 90s with Peyton Manning and that group. I mean, come on, that was 20-plus years ago. These guys are killing it. Is it a coincidence? I I don't know. I don't think so, personally, but I could be wrong. Um, I We just wanted to throw that out there. Look, we, we kind of laugh in the live streams when we talk about Tennessee and their great recruiting, like wow, I mean they're 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 beating out Ohio State, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, like they're beating out all these recruiting powerhouses, these blue chip programs, and uh, it just happened within the last couple of years. Well, maybe we're starting to get a little clarity clarity on the situation. Uh, I don't always think that just because you're a school that doesn't typically recruit well that all of a sudden you are. That doesn't necessarily mean you're cheating, but in Tennessee's case, that is strange. How they went from, I don't know, you know, top fifteen classes to now like a number one class. But I, when you consider their recent history, I mean, they haven't been relevant in college football in twenty years. I mean, let's be honest, they haven't been truly relevant in a long time. Um, so maybe that's your connection. I know people ask me about that quite a bit when we when we get on the subject of recruiting. Um, next up, this is a, a, a Kyle's going to handle this one. Twenty twenty two recruiting is blowing up. Several big-time prospects received offers uh, from the University of Arkansas. Kyle, you've got all this stuff written out, and you're ready to go. What do you have for yeah, us 20, on that? Well, 20, 2022, uh, right now, there's not a ton. Really, it's just they've, they've talked about about the first five to ten guys uh, that are out there. But this is going to be one of those. 2021's looking really well, which I'll get into a couple of those ones to look out for here in just a second. But 2022 might is probably going to end up rivaling 2019 with Hudson Henry, Traylon Burks, all those guys, and also uh, my infamous class, which I had no, personally had nothing to do with, of uh, 2008 with Joe Adams, Jarius Wright, Greg Childs. I mean, this is going to be one of those big ones. I know the coaching staff is extremely excited about. If you look at the first one at uh, Marion Harris, he's a uh, he's over 300 pounds, six six. About he's about 320. At this point, out of out of Pulaski Robinson, that school just seems to like the last four, five, six years to just churn out recruits like crazy. James Joyner, another amazing guy that's from he he plays with Landon Rogers, Aaron Outley at Little Rock Parkview. He's going to be one of those guys. I know that um, a lot of the big schools are looking at Florida State. I'm pretty sure is really high on him. I want to say Memphis uh, was one of the most recent uh, one of the most recent offers that he got, but he's starting to get a lot of those Power Five looks. Andrew Chambly. That's another big offensive lineman out of Maumel High School to keep an eye out for. Uh, he's another 6'6 guy, just around the 300-pound mark. Max Courtney, a linebacker, he's 6'6", 210 out of DeWitt. Uh, definitely going to have to put some uh, meat on those bones, but a guy that flies sideline to sideline. I know that they had a camp this the past week that he went to that a lot of people were uh, – he was uh, very, very praised. And there's one that I'm not really too sure about out of Clare, uh, Clarendon, 
Quincy McAdoo, I, I really don't know a whole lot about him. I know he plays both ways. He's probably going to play defense at the next level. Um, that's one that actually I just heard of within the last couple of days, so I'll have to do a little bit more work into that. 2021, just a couple of updates. So I, we're recording, obviously, on a Wednesday, so that by the time that you listen to this, he will have already made his decision. But Christopher Paul Jr. out of Crisp County, Georgia, also known as Pooh, he uh, was, is the 60th-ranked inside linebacker in the state of Georgia, recently decommitted on June 18th from Nebraska. Got some pretty good offers that are, are committable, Cincinnati, Louisville, Tennessee, and Nebraska still in there. But he commits, um, again, Wednesday night at 7. It's looking like it is going to be the Razorbacks. So by the time that you listen to this, hopefully he will be have already called the Hogs. And one that Ty and I have mentioned, Keytron Jackson, wide receiver out of Rose City, Texas, 149th overall, 25th in the state of Texas. It look, Looking like it's coming down between TCU and Arkansas, and, and A&M has snuck in there as well. But there is a very high chance that he could be uh, calling the Hogs sooner than later as well. They're thinking that he might commit sometime this summer within the next month or so. One to keep an eye on for the near future is Chase Lowry. He is a defensive back out of Frisco High in Texas. He recently released his top eight. Arkansas appears to be the favorite based on a couple of crystal balls that have come in. And I've had a lot of people asking me about Tyus Martin, the Jacksonville defensive tackle that Mm -hmm. recently decommitted within the last week or so from Virginia Tech. I was able, whenever I guest hosted on ESPN Arkansas, Nikki Chabanel from Hogbeat was on there. And I was able to ask her about Tyus Martin and Aaron Outley. Right now the story, if you missed that, on Tyus Martin is – it's not like he decommitted and the Arkansas coaches said that he was going to get an offer. Basically, at this point, they just want to see him play his senior year. So this is one guy that, out of many across the country that are going to really be hoping uh, that, at least for their standpoint of helping their recruiting, that this season is able to be played. Because really, right now, Arkansas is just recruiting a lot of different defensive tackles and they're not 100% sure that they are ready to give him that offer. They want to see a little bit more out of him. As far as Aaron Outley goes, the tight end from Parkview, all signs appear that he wants to be a hog, that he wants to commit sooner than later, but he does have a pretty extensive offer list. He wants to take some – basically, Nikki said that he does want to take some more official visits. Some of his offers include Florida State, Oregon, A&M, Tennessee, Michigan, LSU. So really respectable list there. I'm not really sure how much of those are committable, but he is – extremely uh, extremely heralded, so I would not be shocked if all those schools are really giving him a lot of hard looks. And finally, I got one for basketball. It's uh, Damian Collins. He is out of Atlanta High, Texas, not too far from Texarkana. Five-star, 22nd overall in the country, the number five center in the, in the entire country, and number two in Texas. University of Texas, the Longhorns seem to be the overwhelming favorite. He is committing Friday, July 3rd. So the day that this drops is when he'll be committing sometime that day. I'm not sure of the time. I do know that Arkansas is in the mix, but it's more than likely going to be the Longhorn. So I know that was a lot of information out there, but that's the the ones to really keep an eye on, at least for the next month or so. But uh, Chase Lowry, out of all those ones that I mentioned, is the one out of Frisco, Texas, uh, the defensive back. That's the one that to really keep an eye on as far as commitment for the near future. It seems like, you know, we're, we keep being told and, and – you know, I know the people we reach out to, they can they can only give us information when they have information. It's like I get asked every live stream, like who's who is the next commit? What about you know? What about kid out of uh, the defensive back out of Fort Smith? Or what about uh, you know the Little Rock tight end that I'm always mentioning? It's like man, right now it's it's 
you know, some of those kids have a lot of committable offers, and uh, they want to they want to take their visits. So this, and again, I know we talk about it a lot, but COVID has just screwed so much of this up, you know, and, and uh, it's just a little irregular this off season, um, and and so the information we get it does change, it changes daily, and uh, especially when you've got a pandemic going on, when you've got COVID. You know, and it sounds like we're supposedly we're get, we're getting a second round of it. So, uh, it's we can only give you what we got. And uh, right now, that that was good stuff, though, Kyle. I appreciate that. That was some good. That's probably the most information we've had, honestly, on recruiting in a while. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely shout out to Nikki. Uh, that was, I appreciate that. That was the two met with Tyus Martin and Aaron Outley. Uh, that was the the two that I've had the most, and I've actually personally been wondering about them and. If you haven't listened to it already, you can listen to it on Spotify. It's Tuesday's episode. I think that on ESPN, ArkansasHitThatLine.com, it's about 25 minutes in that she comes on to the show. But uh, Nikki, very knowledgeable and, and always uh, is very elaborate on her answers, and she mm-hmm. definitely answered everything that I had. So uh, that's a lot of that was really from her. So really appreciate her input on that. So the next thing, too, we'll, we'll, we'll be really quick on. Uh, I lied. We have – I completely forgot to mention this, but you and I had talked about it before we went live. But Sam Pittman had talked to the media. Uh, I did not get a chance to finish the whole thing. This just happened yesterday, I believe, and you listened to it all. Um, what I got out of what I was able to listen to, it sounded like – I think he's getting a little tired about the COVID questions. <laughs> it, it seemed like you know, what he said to the media was – you know, you guys seem to think that we're not going to have a season when everybody in the business thinks the opposite. Everyone, all the coaches that I talk to, and then, you know, of course, they're talking to Sankey, and I'm sure they're talking with the NCAA, and, you know, their belief is, even with the second spike of COVID, like, the plan is we're going to have that September game. Like, we're, the plan is to go to go ahead full steam. If, if Kyle, if you wanted to touch on that a little bit, just what your thoughts were on, on, uh, on his – on his uh, meetings or, or his, um, you know, when he talked to the media yesterday, what did you get out of that? What was the one thing that kind of stood stood out to you when he talked to us yesterday? Well, they spoke for him for to him for thirty minutes, and essentially the two main things that I got you touched on is they're all signs are pointing to that they are going to start by September five. There hasn't really been a whole lot of talks between him and his players and his coaches that that's not going to happen. But if it if it is, in fact, what goes down, then they're going to basically just they're going to plan accordingly. They're going to go a different route. So right now, that's what their plan is. Look, you've been scheduled for X amount of time. That that's the way that things are going to be. We haven't heard anything different. We've heard a bunch of different accusations, but right now, by September fifth, we plan on playing our first game. And he also led into so there was a bunch of rumors going out this week. I'm sure many of people listening to this heard that the players had been sent home because the cases had spiked. You could tell he was a little flustered. Mike Irwin from Pig Trail Nation was the one that asked the question, basically saying that there was some high-profile media members that were saying stuff about this. And Sam, as he always is, very chill, very respectful, but you could tell he was not too happy about that. No. Essentially led to the fact that he learned a long time ago that media can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And in this situation, it tended to be a curse because there was a bunch of stuff out there. And and this was – I'm not going to mention any names. And Ty, I know you and I and, and Jacob and Porter had talked kind of in our group text about it. And I'm not going to throw out any names of some things that of, from people that I had heard. But there were some fairly high-profile names that were putting reports out there that players were at home. They had been sent home that they were not on campus and that 
obviously was not true. And so really out of the whole 30 minutes, what I got out of it is, is this football team plans on being on the field September 5th and don't always listen to everything you say in the media, which is something we hear every day. Which, I mean, keep in mind, we, we talked about the cases that were, um, that were confirmed across the NCAA and all that's been confirmed so far, it's like 200 cases. Uh, we talked about that. I say we, uh, me and my chat on the Friday night PTN show on YouTube, I had mentioned, or maybe it was Monday, I can't remember. But regardless, it was like it was like 200 cases. But the NCAA, there are schools that have not released their information or, or their players that have been affected by this. Um, I don't know if they have those kids sign any NDA. I doubt it, but any uh, non-disclosure agreements about going to the media about COVID. I don't know what that looks like. But I, I do wonder if some of that, if if maybe there are some cases around campus in Fayetteville, if if that kind of information is getting out there, where is it coming from? You know, and don't get me wrong, we all know that there is fake news and it exists. But I just wonder, like, with, it seems like I'm now seeing more and more of my friends. I actually just had a close personal friend of mine in Northeast Arkansas. He now, he, him and his wife both, you know, have COVID. Uh, I've got uh, some other friends on my on Facebook uh, that, that have also you know confirmed that they have it as well it just makes you wonder like what are the odds that these kids don't really have it or how much testing is going on and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to stir the pot by any means I'm just generally curious um, and I'm and I'm not saying that Pittman's lying either I'm not saying that I just wonder how much you know he's being told about what's going on you know we know that there's communication on campus right now is is uh, really it's just by phone and text and and uh, you know, I'm sure some of the communication has been ruffled a little bit because of all this, and maybe some people are a little worried about releasing any kind of any, any more information on COVID until they have a clear understanding of of how this affects everybody. So I it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that there probably are some players on campus, maybe not with the football team, but some athletes on campus or well in the area that may have been affected by COVID one way or another. So. This thing is it just gets so complicated and I get so tired of talking about it. It seems like every and we have to bring it up. Like you can't not talk about it. Well, in the latest update, which of course, and I keep going back to the fact that we are recording on a Wednesday. Tuesday it it was said by Governor Hutchinson that he basically held up a football in one hand and held up a mask and said if if we don't wear this, then we won't have this. Yeah. And he he mentioned that we're not going to there they're not in phase two in terms of athletic stuff. So like since June 1st, football teams have been able to get in the shirt and shorts and the helmets like they've done for years for the summer workouts where you go do conditioning drills, lift weights, run a few plays here and there. But we have not entered phase two. That's a, that's a common misconception. I think that a lot of our Kansans have and people have across the country. We have not moved into phase two of athletics. That's just with the hair salons and the churches and gyms and restaurants and we won't move into phase two until the cases do go down. And ten- Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, not university, they mentioned, they, they put out a report, I believe it was about two or three days ago, that they are pushing back. They're, they will not be able to start their stuff right now until like all their fall sports, late, I believe it's Labor Day weekend. They've already made that announcement. Arkansas is looking very, very slim right now. We just really don't know, but it's not looking incredibly promising. But um, so that's pretty much the newest update. That's that's really the first that I've heard Governor Hutchinson actually mention mention sports in that kind of context really in a while. Well, let's just uh, 
there, there is some good news. If, if we don't have sports, um, it looks like, for all you NCAA f- uh, football franchise, you know, the EA uh, game, for those of you who are, who are missing that, Madden 21, the career mode, will allow you to pick from a, a pool of 10 colleges and play two seasons. And those schools are uh, Texas, Michigan State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, OU. Don't ask me why Nebraska's on this list. Uh, but uh, OU, Miami, Florida, Clemson, LSU, OU, and, and uh, SC, uh, Southern Cal. So you, you'll you have some – you'll get a little flavor, a little taste of NCAA football, which begs the question, when the hell do we get that franchise back? Uh, the greatest football – no, I'm sorry, greatest sports gaming franchise of all time uh is is it around the corner if they're daring to do that on on a video game on on madden uh for a licensed product that's um yeah i hope i hope this is a sign that it's coming back i don't know that it is maybe i'm maybe i'm reaching for straws i don't know arkansas basketball adds a new assistant david patrick uh he was with uh muscleman at lsu during the 2014-2015 seasons and uh Supposedly, well, I mean, he is. He's 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 uh, responsible for Ben Simmons, as you mentioned, Kyle, earlier before we started recording. He's the godfather to Ben Simmons. Um, this is a pretty big deal. It seems like overwhelmingly people are very positive about this hire. Yeah, this was a really solid hire, man. I mean, look, you look at the whole big Ben Simmons situation. He was the number one player in the 2015 class and, of course, was the, the number one overall draft pick in 2016. But... You look at what he did at UC Riverside. Now, UC Riverside's been a Division One program for only 20 years. In that 20 years, they've had two winning seasons. He's been there for two years. They had a winning one last year. This is It's really understandable why he did make the move from head coach there to associate head coach. Just not a very good program in terms of facilities. It's obviously very hard to recruit there. They only have a capacity of about 3,000 in their, in their arena. Now, as a Division II program, they were very successful. They had three Final Fours, were runner-up in 1995. Wow. But it just totally makes sense why he would make that move. He and Coach Muss have a very good relationship. We're on the same staff at LSU in 2014-2015 when Muss was Johnny Jones' associate head coach there. But he comes from, he comes from there to the SEC – more than likely, if he does well, which I assume he will. Coach Muss has done a phenomenal job at, at the hirings that he's had. Chris Crutchfield that that recently left to go – I can't remember that Division II school in Oklahoma where he left to – was an incredible recruiter. So is David Patrick. He's just proven in so many levels, especially the fact that he did have a winning season at a school. And I'm not trying to throw shade at UC Riverside, but the fact is, is they're just not a – there's not a lot to work with there. And the fact that he was able to bring a perennial losing team to their first winning season in 10 years just really speaks volumes about how he develops players. And he's got a really crazy story, too. He was born in Bermuda, raised in Australia, and then came over to the States to play basketball. Started off for, for um, Jim Beheim at, at Syracuse and then ended up transferring. Some, I think it was southeastern Louisiana and played various places in the pros. I know he was in Spain for a little while. So really interesting story. I imagine Bo Mattingly will probably do a, a hog pod with him. Look forward to hearing that just to talk about all the places in the world he's been. But 
that was just kind of a little background on him and very excited to have him. I, I definitely trust Coach Much's judgment wherever he recruits or whoever he hires. He's done really well with that so far and, and definitely happy to have David Patrick on board. So some more information on him. Uh, born February 21st, 1976. He's 44 years old. Like Kyle mentioned, he's from Bermuda. Na, 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 come. Oh. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, I had to throw that in there. I love the Beach Boys. So uh, he played at Syracuse. Um, and kind of moved around a little bit from there. His coaching career started at Nickel State in 2005. He was there for a year. Went to St. Mary's for four years as an assistant. He was a LSU assistant, like we mentioned, from 2012 to 2016. He was at TCU from 2016 to 2018. 2018 to 2020, he was the uh, head coach at UC Riverside. Um he also his overall head coaching record is twenty seven and thirty eight with a so that's a point four one five percentage win percentage. But um, which I'll, I'll add a side note to that. He's the only that this puts into perspective the last twenty years of UC Riverside basketball. He's the only coach to have over a four hundred win percentage. It's wow. almost impossible to win there. I, you know, obviously with that Simmons connection. With that connection right there, just boom, that makes you think, okay, not bad. He's got a head coaching resume that's pretty respectable. Again, when you when you consider the what's going on at UC Riverside, then you look at his, you know, being at St. Mary's as an assistant, LSU, TCU, and now he's at Arkansas. I think this is a sign that that even if you have a swinging door situation with assistants at Arkansas under Musselman, he's going to bring in someone just as good, maybe better. Um, that's that's what I get out of it. Obviously, his connection to the NBA, Musselman's connection there, and, and what he did at Nevada in the short amount of time, he's going to be able to bring in some respectable assistance. So that's a really good sign. Um, okay, well, I think that's going to do it for this first segment. Next up, Kyle interviews former Arkansas Razorback outfielder Tyler Spoon here on the Hog Talk Podcast. Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. Woo pig suey. Since 1984, Max's Garage, located at 1010 South Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas, has been your one-stop shop for all of your auto repair needs, including tune-ups, oil changes, transmission repairs, and even body work. Stop by or give them a call today at 870-942-4612. Again, that's 870-942-4612. Hey guys, Kyle Sutherland here back on the Hog Talk Podcast, Segment 2, Episode 101. We are happy to be joined by former Arkansas Razorback baseball player Tyler Spoon. Tyler, really appreciate you taking some time out for us today. And first off, I'll ask you how uh, I've asked everyone just about that we've had on. How have you been spending this quarantine now that we're, I guess, what, three and a half months in? Oh man, it's uh it's been pretty crazy. Just obviously completely different times we're in, but you know, uh we just had a little kiddo um almost a couple months ago. So that's really been our our priority in the in the quarantine. So it's got, you know, given us something to do, but um you know, it's just try to get outside when we can just to try to keep from going crazy, you know. Yeah, and I know you're working for Iberia Bank now, and so how long have you been doing that basically since you quit playing baseball or how long has that been going on? Yes. Yeah. So we, um, I stopped playing baseball, I guess my last, really the beginning of 2018 and we moved back here and then I hopped straight into the mortgage business and, uh, started doing mortgage lending in 2018. And, um, you know, in year three now, it's great, great company, great people. So, um, you know, I, I'm loving it. It's, it's a good, 
and we're glad to be home more than anything. You know, we were all over the country there for a minute. So it's just good to be home around friends, around family. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely can't beat NWA. I know that's right. I, I actually just got back to Arkansas myself after spending three years in Texas. So, man, you, you can't beat the natural state. We'll uh, we'll get straight right into career. Now, you you were, I guess, born and raised. And I know you went to Van Buren, but I assume you're from there as well. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Born and raised from Van Buren. I mean, played played high school ball in Van Buren. Um, you know, I still have family in, in Van Buren. So we go down there here and there. You know, the good thing about Fayetteville is it's you know 45 minute jump down the road to, to get there. So uh, it's close enough to go see family when we want to. And uh, but, you know, it's it's Fayetteville's just got a different feel. It's you know, we love it. So well, I know you played multiple sports when you were at Van Buren, and was it always baseball from the get-go that you were wanting to play as you realized, wow, I can probably do this at a Division One level, or did you possibly think about football or basketball as well? Yeah, so I, I mean, I love baseball, um, obviously, from a very young age. Um, I, I really loved, probably my favorite sport to play was basketball. I loved it. Um, I wasn't great at it, but I did love it. Um, and football was obviously a lot of fun too. You can't really beat Friday nights and baseball was just, you know, you know, really my love more than anything, you know, it just from a young age, really, since I can remember, I had a bat in my hand, a ball in my hand and, you know, hitting and throwing and everything. So, uh, just a sport that I just, you know, attached to early and, you know, just every second I had, I was, I was hitting a baseball or throwing, you know, so, uh, baseball was definitely my sport. I loved it. And, you know, just, I guess really about sophomore, junior year, I decided, hey, baseball, baseball's the path, and that's what I want to do in the future. So. I know you played in Alaska at, right after high school, and we'll get into that here in just a second, but was it was Dave Van Horn and that staff, were they on you pretty early, or what were some other options that you were looking at in terms of colleges? Yeah, you know, actually, it, it wasn't a heavy recruiting from Arkansas. It was actually, you know, I had a, I was pretty close. I really liked UCA. Um, Dallas Black was the guy there, and he's he's the man. Uh, I think he's a scout for the Blue Jays now, but um, they, you know, that was pretty much my first priority um, for a while, honestly. And there were a lot of smaller D2 schools um, and a couple other small D1 schools. But uh, really, I went to a camp here at Arkansas, uh, just like a showcase camp and ended up just having a really, really good day. And that's when really when Arkansas offered me, it really wasn't a heavy recruiting process. It was just like a you know, I went to this camp and just had a really good showing. And that's kind of how it happened, you know, so it wasn't like a full-on two-year recruiting process or anything. And you went to Alaska right after you graduated, and I'd, I'd say you did pretty well there. You were the number two prospect in their league, and then Baseball America had you at number five. Uh, I mean, you led in just about every category. You hit 283, led the team in home runs, RBIs, and hits, and you also tied for the lead in doubles. Along with all that success that you had, I imagine you had a pretty good time seeing as well as you did, but what was it like up in Alaska? I mean, the only really – I guess the only familiarity I have with that state is what I've seen off Alaska state troopers. I know it's gorgeous up there, but what was it like <laughs> yeah. living there? Man, it's, it was incredible. And and you're there it, it, to me, it, it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. You know, I've been to the Rockies and we actually went over to um, Italy and, you know, um, of all the places I've been, it's the most incredible place in the world for me, you know? So uh, the weather was incredible, you know, it'll get cool around 55, 60, um, you know, on the highs for some of the days in the summer, early on at least. But man, it's just, you know, it's just incredible. I mean, the fishing, uh, just the outdoors, the hiking, everything involved. I mean, um, it's a hard place to beat. And, and it's one of those places that, you know, I'm going to go back at some point regardless, you know, 
uh, just trying to make it up there. But it, it was an incredible experience. Um, I just loved every second of it. And it was just, again, the most beautiful place in the entire world with the mountains. And you got fresh snow in June, you know, at the top of the mountains. And so um, there was no other place like it. My, hands down, my favorite summer of my entire life. We'll hop into your Razorback career now. And in 2013, 2014, so that, I guess that you redshirted in 2012, right? And then you start, or was it, was it 2012 you redshirted it? And then 2013 was your, your first year Correct, playing. Yeah. Okay. So you were, so you were there 2013 and 2014, which you did pretty well. Uh, I know that in 2014, you were named team captain and you were actually drafted by the Oakland A's in the 35th round. And one big stat, you did not commit an error on defense. And so did you lean I, I know that with, with you getting drafted, there was some decisions for you to make, but were you leaning at really very heavily going towards going pro or was it, you were going to stay at, at Arkansas the entire time for the most part? Yeah, it was, it was a situation where 2014, I had a little bit of a down year. And so for me, you know, I wanted to go, but also, you know, felt that I could do better in my next year. Um, and I got drafted by the A's and the A's called me and I asked for a little bit of money. So um, it was going to take quite a bit for me to go. And, you know, I only have one year left, get my degree, finish up. So and I had two years of eligibility left. So I had a, I had quite a bit of leverage for me. And, and so it was just going to take a lot of money for me to go. And so um, I had a more than I kind of knew in my head, I was like, I'm probably going to go back to school. Um, I'll put a high price on it if someone does want to offer it to me. If it's a price I can't turn down, I'll go. But um, yeah, for the most part, I think it was pretty much decided I was probably going to stay uh, in school and finish up and, you know, play my red shirt junior year. So, and the next year, so your junior year, 2014, 2015 school year was athletically one of the best for the Razorbacks in recent memory in terms of you look at what the football team did coming back and their last six or seven games, having one of the best defenses in the nation, dominating Texas in the Texas Bowl. And mm-hmm. we'll, we'll highlight a little more here. Bobby Portis being the SEC player of the year in basketball, getting an NCAA tournament win. The women's basketball team getting an NCAA tournament win. And, of course, the baseball team, you guys, we'll get into, we'll kind of break down the season a little bit. But, um, you know, y'all, y'all standing at 500 around that range when you were in the two-game series with Memphis. Had a guy named Andrew Benintendi that was an okay player, um, probably the most decorated player in history. Um, yeah, he was all right. He, he was just okay. But uh, you guys started off nine and two, so it was looking like pretty promising. And on paper, even going into the season, we knew that there was a lot of talent, just like there is every year with the baseball team. Mm -hmm. What was it? What was it that that made you guys? I know, I know. After the nine and two start, you you lost ten of your of the last twelve games. What what did you feel were some of the underlying effects? Was just just didn't really click in certain areas, or maybe your heads weren't in the game. What do you feel that it was? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of everything. I think, you know, looking back at everything, I think there were obviously a lot of questions just lineup wise and uh, bullpen wise and a lot of that stuff. And there's a, that's a lot of what goes into the first 20 to 25 games that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't realize is, you know, Van Horn's got to figure out who can pitch and who can do it. So um, especially early on, you're going to see young guys get a lot of opportunities and, you know, chances to close out a game. And he, he loves throwing those guys in the situations, especially early in the season, because he's got to figure out who can do it, you know. Um, he's got to, he's got to put guys in difficult situations and it just took a little bit longer, I think for one, the lineup to quick click and two for the, the bullpen to, uh, really shake out and figure out how to, how that was going to play out for the rest of the year, you know, and, you know, we, we really leaned heavily on Zach Jackson a lot of that year and he just did an outstanding job and, um, it just took a little bit longer to click than a lot of teams did. And that was, you know, unfortunately, you know, 
thankfully it worked out and worked, clicked at the right time, you know, so uh, it just took quite a bit longer to figure out all the pieces to put together. And, you know, that's, that's why I feel like, you know, Van Horn did such an incredible job that year because even at points we were just like, man, what is going on? You know, we were losing a lot of one run games, two run games, just right in the middle of it. We couldn't get that big hit, couldn't get that big out, whatever it was. And, um, you know, it just finally clicked. We got everything rolling with the bullpen and you had Killian and McKinney uh, figuring out how to go long into the games. And, you know, it just it just finally took off for us. So it just took a little bit longer than I think what people thought and what we thought as well. So. And after you split the two the two game series with Memphis, uh, so you, you there was one game in Little Rock, and then the next one you guys played there. You didn't lose another three game series all year. That that includes going to A and M, who was the number one team in the country, beat them. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll ask the same question that I asked before, but we'll just flip it around. You, well, I guess you answered a lot of it. You guys just you figured out the pitching. You you got the spark there. Talk about just how fun that was as you guys realized that you started to click. Actually. I, well, I, I'll ask how, how fun it was once you got into the postseason. When did you yeah. guys start to realize that, wow, w- this is actually a really good team. We're starting to figure it out. It was definitely the A&M game. Um, the A&M game, I think, gave us – the whole series just gave us a lot of confidence. And, you know, it was – you know, and I, that was around the time Benny really got, got rolling. And I think he kind of carried an attitude that all of us kind of – it was just infectious. You know, we just all started getting this confidence and, you know, we felt like every time Benny was going to go up there, there was a two, three week stretch where it was weird if he didn't hit a home run. It was just like, oh my gosh, Benny hit a single. Is he okay? You know, is, is he going to be all right? And, and it was one of those things that we just all got a bunch of confidence and one thing rolled into another. And, um, you know, it, it was just kind of a, that A&M series, you know, we got down, we lost the first game, got down eight to three, I think, uh, on Saturday, had a rain out in the seventh or eighth inning came back the next day to resume play, ended up putting seven or eight runs up and winning that game and then taking the series. So that game from then was just like we started rolling and we won a big one at Auburn as well. But, um, man, it was it was really around that time we started to figure out, you know, we beat the number one team at their place. Uh, and we started to figure out, hey, like, we can do this. Now we just got to keep this momentum going. And it just never stopped. We just started playing with a lot more confidence, understanding like, hey, we, we can do this. And our bullpen just started picking it up. Our lineup started picking it up. And, you know, one thing led to another. We just started getting the big hits when we needed them. We started getting uh, the big outs when we needed them. And it just kind of just kept rolling into, into postseason as well. And we were just one of the, the hottest teams when the postseason came around. So, Yeah, and the St- Stillwater <laughs> Regional Tournament, you you were really hot in that one. You were 5 for 12. And really, until the, the College World Series, you guys just basically seemed to be unstoppable. I, mean, I know that in the second game against Missouri State, uh, Matt Hall just really couldn't mm-hmm. – I mean, he just had his best stuff that day. But yeah. outside of that game, and that's when I'll go back to the question I was asking a second ago, like how fun it was. You guys just looked like you were having a blast, whether it was – I remember Bobby Wernus, every time he came home, he would do the like the spoon-fed deal – uh, just yeah. like like feed me type thing, and and you guys just seem to be having the time of your lives. And so as you as you get closer to the College World Series, I mean, did you did you guys really feel like to start? I know I know that you kind of just explained uh, really what the underlying effects were of uh, guys mm-hmm. could really be, but did you start to feel like we could be College World Series champions? Like especially once you hit the Stillwater Regional and as you got into the Super Regional. Yeah, I think once we got over the hump of um, you know obviously getting in when we won the Stillwater regional um and we figured out that the super regionals were going to be at, at home that was when it clicked like hey we're, we're going to go to omaha like we we feel good about this and really i mean 
we had we thought we it's like man we're the hottest team in the in the country like no one's really going to be able to beat us right now and so we just had this feeling that we weren't going to lose and you know um you know we got to omaha and ran into virginia that was arguably the other hottest team at the time and um you know they ended up winning the whole thing you know we played them first game and they beat us and um you know i i looking back on it you i i thoroughly believe that potentially the winner of that game could have gone on to win the whole thing you know and and virginia ended up doing it they were you know there were two really hot teams at that time kind of struggled throughout the season but um they ended up coming out on top and ended up taking it from from vandy that year but um and then we lost by one run and and against miami that second game and you know that's really how it is in omaha it's it's going to be it's going to come down to one pitch one hit one out whatever it is it's just um that's just kind of how it is usually you know you hardly ever see games that are just blowouts you know i mean the 2018 team just steamrolled their way through omaha which is very rare they just kind of put a uh, they were just so dominant, but, you know, even for us, you know, talent wise up and down the lineup, uh, we weren't, we were good, but we weren't as good as Arkansas has been. And, uh, but we were hot and then we just, we just felt like there was no one that could stop us regardless of how big, how talented, how hard they threw, how well they hit, whatever it was, we just thought we were going to win. And we hit that wall against Virginia and then, you know, Miami walked us off that next game. And, you know, that was, that was all she wrote, but really when you get to Omaha, you I think every team at that point is like, yeah, we, we're going to win this thing. We, we have a really good chance. Well, and I think you bring up a great point there because you, you look at 2019, you look at the Florida State game, one to nothing, and then the Texas Tech game also was, was a one-run game as well. And so that does – it's yeah, it's really just about – you hardly do see those blowouts, just very rarely. But as we start to finish yeah. up here, uh, I'll ask you – we'll go back to Ben Benintendi, uh, one of the greatest players in program history, by far the most decorated, I would say – how did that help your career playing in the outfield with him? It was great because I didn't have to do much in the outfield. He just kind of got to everything, you know. So um, anything that was right at me, I would take it. But for the most part, you know, he was just such a, you know, he's quick. He's kind of sneaky fast. And, um, you know, he was just one of those players that had great reads on the ball, great jumps. And he really just covered as much ground as he possibly could. And um, it was fun to play out there with him for sure. And, you know, just offensively as well, just, being able to witness what he did was pretty crazy, you know, and um, again, he was kind of the the spark that kind of helped us get rolling a little bit. And, um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of fun playing with him. You know, he's, he's a just as good of a person as he is a, a baseball player. And, you know, he was an infectious player in person and, um, you know, it was, it, it was a lot of fun. We, we had a lot of fun watching him. And Tyler, it. the final question I have for you is, well, this is a, every time I talk to uh, one of the Dave Van Horn players, so I guess really anybody over the last 20 years or so, is I ask uh, what yeah, what kind of impact that he had on you as a player and a person. But one, one mm-hmm. other thing I want to touch on, you're always going to have, and I'm sure you, you totally understand this as a former athlete, but you're always going to have the people in the fan base that are naysayers, and there's always – the few in that crowd that say he just can't get the job done, which is total ludicrous, get the job done in terms of winning the big one. But what what would your – I'll ask yeah. you first, what kind of impact did he have on you as a person and a player? And also, too, what would your advice be to those people that might just have that negative mindset that he just can't win the big one? Yeah, I mean, he, he was just such an outstanding coach and person. I mean, it was – he was a guy that really that was the first person that taught me how to be a winner I feel like and and everything he does everything the way he went about his business um, he just did it to win and and that's the thing he knows how to win he has a plan he sticks to it and he's he works harder than uh, really anybody you know and you know he, he was kind of a, a fatherly figure that um, you know we hit again that stretch that tough stretch we were about 500 
uh, about 20 games in. And, you know, I remember one meeting after the game, he just said, Hey, look, I'm proud of you guys. Just keep, just keep fighting, keep plugging away. You're, you're right there. I mean, it's, you know, we were losing a lot of one run, two run games. And he said, it's going to happen. You just got to keep plugging away and keep going. And um, I think that's another thing that gave us a lot of confidence, you know, and, you know, when your team has one of the worst starts in school history and your coach just says, Hey, you know, like you're right there. I mean, that, and, and that says a lot about him as a person. Now, obviously he wasn't happy about losing, but he also knew that we were, we were fighting. We were, we were playing hard. We were doing everything we could and we were just coming up short. Um, but he, he, he just has this persistence and there's just like nothing stopping him from winning. And for me, that was, that was huge to see. It kind of helped me uh, take that mindset, you know, throughout the year and really just going on through my life. And, you know, so the, uh, he, he was just a great, great person, great coach to be around and uh, brought a lot of, a lot of energy and just, you know, positive attitude around uh, the entire program. So, um, and what was what was the second question? Well, what would your advice be to those who who just don't think that he can win the big one? Yes, he's a great coach. He he gets them to Omaha. He does yeah. that kind of stuff, but he just can't quite finish it. What would your advice say to them, or advice be to them? Baseball is the yeah, it's the absolute hardest sport to win a championship, and and that's I can say that without a doubt because baseball is a game where you know hardly ever. You know, 2018, you just had the two absolute most dominant players and dominant teams playing against each other going to a three-game series. You know, you don't hardly ever see that. And it was like kind of a, hey, Arkansas and Oregon State, those are probably going to be your last two. They're just so dominant. And um, But it's just such a hard sport because, you, again, you face teams like us in 2015 that, you know, maybe whoever it was, Vanderbilt at the time or uh, whatever ever other team was in there, that they're technically a lot better, more talented than we are. But – it's baseball. You got to show up. You got to throw strikes. You got to score runs. You got to do a lot of stuff. There's just so many possible outcomes, and that the best players don't always win. You know, that's that's the thing. And and the fact that he's been able to be so consistent in a game that's so difficult to be consistent. That's that's where that's what you got to look at. And uh, especially just the job he did with our team in 2015, and and just the consistency of success. I mean that that itself in baseball is so hard to do. I, it, it's I would say it's almost can be harder to do than winning a national championship. You know, it, it just being consistent and uh, such a difficult sport, you know, again, it, it, it all comes down to sometimes the team that's the hottest, you know, you think of coastal Carolina, they were a good team, but man, they were just so hot. Uh, they just took off. Same with Virginia our year. They were, they were just really hot and, and won it. You know, it, it's so, it's so hard to win the big one in baseball. Cause if you get that team that's hot and they beat you, it's just part of it, you know? So, um, and I, I still believe he's going to get it before he's done. I, I think, I think he's a guy that, you know, I don't think he'll stop until he does. He's just he's just a winner and he wants to do it. He's going to keep plugging away. And, um, you know, if there's anyone that can do it, it's going to be him. So, Well, that will do it for Episode 101 here on the Hog Talk Podcast. Special shout-out to Tyler Spoon. Thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day to sit with Kyle and to, uh, and to talk with us. Really do appreciate that. That's going to do it. Woo Pig Suey. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.